of God and the whole idea of spiritual warfare. And I think that was a good discussion. And it was wrapped up by Paul talking, as we went over last week, about the power of prayer and how important prayer is as we pray for each other. Now we've come to the last four verses of chapter 6, and it's just kind of a almost a benediction or a prayer and a blessing sort of from Paul for the people and a little greeting, but it's a really special one, and there's a lot of great stuff in these four verses, and so I wanted to devote a little time to it this morning and and I think that you'll see that in these verses we see some important principles and some real opportunities to uh, learn about what the Christian life is really all about. Because during the book of Ephesians, there was so much that Paul was communicating. And I think it all just kind of wraps up here in these verses in a lot of ways. And so let's begin with verse 21. He says, but that you also may know my affairs, what I'm doing, and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul was sending Tychicus, carrying this letter to the Ephesians, to take it to Ephesus and to the surrounding um, areas. And, and so uh, Tychicus was a guy who, as Paul describes him here, a, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. We don't know a lot about him. Tychicus's name is kind of cool. The, it's the Greek word that means lucky. And uh, so if you don't like the concept of lucky, you can say fortuitous or something like that, but it means lucky. Um, he's, he's mentioned also the same, the same whole sentence is used in Colossians. At the end of the book of Colossians, Paul tells them that he's sending Tychicus to him for the same reason. Um, and in the same way, Tychicus, we know from Acts chapter 20, was from Asia. And when they say Asia, in the New Testament, it's referring to Asia Minor, which is basically the country of Turkey as it exists today. And so that's where so many of the churches that Paul started were. And so he was from that area, but now he's in Rome ministering to Paul, and he's a valuable aide to Paul, and yet Paul is now sending him to come to them. We see him mentioned also in Titus as Tychicus as a possible guy to take over pastoring for for Titus and and um, you know but it, it's interesting oh Tychicus also in the le- in some of the documents the manuscripts of of Ephesians um, that are you know written a few hundred years after the book was written there are little superscriptions at the bottom that refer to this letter as being written by Tychicus and so not only did he deliver it, but there's a good chance that he was the amanuensis or the scribe who Paul dictated the letter to him. And so Paul used him probably in that way and then gave him the letter personally and said, take this to the church in Ephesus and did similarly with the book of Colossians to take to Colossae. 
you know, in those days, the mail wasn't very dependable, but it's kind of interesting. I mean, they could have found a lot of people who could just deliver a letter. And so I find it interesting and telling that Paul took someone who he considered such a valuable minister and used him to take this letter. But I also think it's interesting that he said, Tychicus is going to come and he's going to tell you what I'm doing and how I'm doing. You know, because you'd think Paul could just have written a little postscript on the letter and said, here's what I'm doing here in Rome. Here's the, you know, what my day is like. I get up in the morning, I'm chained up, I eat breakfast, (laughs) I write, I testify to people, I witness to the guard, and I go to bed. But I don't have a bed, so I do it on the floor in prison. (laughs) But, you know, And to say how he's doing, he's certainly capable of that. You would think he would know better than anyone. But it's interesting that for Paul, it was so important that he would send one of his most valued ministers in order to carry this letter so that he could also carry this message about Paul personally, what he's doing, and especially how he is doing. And you know... It's funny, so often when you see things on the surface, you don't get down to really the essence of how someone's really doing personally. And we we use the expression all the time, how are you doing? But when we say it, we really expect someone to say, fine, great. We don't really want to know how they're doing. That would take too much time, and it would probably be depressing, and yet, If there's someone who you really know, you often will pull them aside and sit them down or take them out to lunch and go, how are you really doing? And get beneath the surface of that. I had someone this week who I know who who shot me an email and just made some casual conversation, told me some generalities about what's going on in his life. And I I wrote back and I said, you know, I'm praying for you, but I want to know really specifically how to pray for you. So how are you really doing? Oh, man, you just unloaded, and it was almost overwhelming, and yet I had to just take it to the Lord, and so that was fine. But it's, it's, it's a show of a true friend who really cares how you're doing. And it's interesting that Paul trusted Tychicus enough that he said, you know, you can talk to him, and he'll tell you in person what I'm doing, and he'll tell you how I'm doing. And Paul acknowledged that when they heard from him, that it would comfort their hearts. Now, what Paul is talking about here is the blessing of fellowship. It's really the beauty of connectedness. It's what we are about as the body of Christ, as we've seen throughout the book of Ephesians. The connections that we can have with other people, we are created to be connected. And that connection is to be in more than a surfacey way. It's to be in a deep way. And so Paul felt this was so important that he sent Tychicus in order to help to make that connection. And he said, you know, I could tell you how I'm doing. I would probably say I'm fine. But Tychicus has been here with me, and he really knows how I'm doing. And you can probe, and you can ask, and you'll see how I'm really doing. And people who really care about you, 
They want to get beneath the scenes. And the truth is, if you really want to know how someone is doing, you don't necessarily ask them. Sometimes you can ask someone who's close to them, someone who knows them well, and they can give you the real scoop on how they're doing. And Paul understood this and was therefore facilitating this kind of fellowship, this type of communication. And it's touching to me that he cared enough not only about Tychicus, but about these Christians who he knew, he knew them well. He had been there in Ephesus, had preached to them, and now beyond this more or less academic letter that he had written to them, he's wanting to send a personal messenger to assure them that he's really okay, that no, I'm with him, I'm talking to him, I see how he's functioning, yeah, he's in chains, yes, he's in pain, yes, it's difficult, but he's really doing well. He's really being blessed. And, and so this is what we would call fellowship. Now, it's also a reminder that the church isn't just who's here right now, that the church is big. And, and we have people who have been a part of our lives who have now, God has led them other places. And sometimes for some people, it just seems like, you know, why do you go to the expense of going off to the mission field? Why would you go do go see missionaries? Sure. I used to think, frankly, that short-term missions trip were just a waste. You know, that it was just a junket. Guys just like to travel. Now, I'm going to Cuba this week, and then I'm going to be back for, I'll be back next Sunday, and then I'm back for long enough to do my Wednesday study that week, and then I leave for Hong Kong and China and Vietnam, and I'll be gone a couple of Sundays. And I don't like to do that, frankly. I'm not doing it for a pleasure trip, but I feel God's called me to go and do that partly because of how important it is to reach out to people who are in other places who are still a part of us, who are a part of our body. And I love it when people from the body do this, who they'll go out. It means so much more. I, I think of, of Clint Pickens and his wife Rhoda over there in Wales. Clint used to, long time ago in this church, was a youth pastor. And then God called him to go out. And he was in England for a long time. And a little over a year ago, he took over pastoring the church there in Swansea, Wales. And he kind of, he hadn't really been a pastor before in that way, and it's, it's been a trial for him, but God's doing some cool things. But some of the greatest things, we sent kids from our youth group to go over there when he started the church to just help him get things going. And hearing from them how he was doing was such a blessing. Today, we're blessed with the technology that I can talk to him on the phone, I, can, I, I get emails from him, we, we have opportunities to communicate but there's still nothing like being with someone in person and just going there and really being with them. And we have missionaries in different places of the world. And the main reason I'm going to Hong Kong, I'm speaking at a pastor's conference over there, but a missionary's conference, but a bunch of our missionaries are coming to that conference. So this is a chance for me to see them, to really know how they're doing. But other than our missionaries, you know, we have people who have gone out from our church and started churches other places. And 
It's such a blessing when we can still contact them. And, and again, there's nothing. Now, you know, I think of, um, you know, now Clint being in, in Wales, that's one thing. But, you know, if, you're, if a trip to Wales isn't in your plans, come on, who wouldn't want to go to Maui? And, you know, Rick Nagura is there and started a church there. The Nakashimas are there with him. And I love it whenever somebody from our church goes over there and they just go for a vacation, but they show up at Rick's church and they see it and they can come back and they can go, they're really doing well. Man, their kids are growing so much. And, and, and I go, tell me how the church feels when you go to the church. And they're like, wow, it really feels Hawaiian. It's real local and they have Hawaiian style music. And, and Rick, you just look at his face and he's just loving teaching the Bible and he loves the people. And I love to get those kinds of reports from someone who I love that, you know, I think as long as he's been over there, I think I've only been over there once to, to be able to see him for a little bit, but it was so cool to make that connection. And I think you know, when, when you plan your vacations, at least check around wherever you're going. Is there someone there who could use some encouragement that you could make that personal contact with, that personal connection? I love when that happens. If it's valuable enough for Paul to do it in this way with his valued minister, it's something we ought to think about. Now, you know, of course, if you don't go to Maui, you could go to Texas and see John. You could go to, to uh, up in Oregon on the coast and see Mike Casada. There are other people who we know who have gone out, but they're still a part of us. But in your life, there might be a lot more people than that. How about people from churches that you used to go to that you haven't seen in a while? How about the the youth pastor who mentored you when you were growing up? How how many people are there that you've just <coughs> sort of lost sight of, out of sight, out of mind? It's so easy for that to happen to us, and yet it's so rewarding when we go, you know what, I need to go and see how that person's doing, really how they're doing. Just personally sit down with them and look them in the eye and go, how are you really doing? And to report that back and to share that with others who know. We have such great communication opportunities, and that's wonderful, but sometimes it's just personal. Sometimes it's just talking to them and getting a feel for, you start with what they're doing, but you get down to how they're doing, and that's what we call fellowship. And that's the kind of connectedness that's important within the body. It might be somebody in our church that you see hi, bye all the time, but you haven't had a chance to just sit them down and go, how are you really doing? You okay? Things going well for you? What are you struggling with? How can I, how can I specifically pray for you? See, this is how the church works. This is what it's all about. It comes down to fellowship. And Paul understands the blessing of that kind of fellowship because he says, this is going to lead to comfort. You're going to feel better when you do this. And this is worth time and energy. And I would just encourage you, pray about what opportunities God might be calling you to. 
what phone calls you need to make, what emails you need to send, and how sometime you might need to go out of your way and just go by and see somebody and, and, and let them know that they're still a part of your family, even if you haven't seen them for a while. In our lives, things just, people come and go, and we don't often make the kind of connections that we want to make. We kind of wear out one relationship and move on to others. Paul didn't do that. He hadn't forgotten these people, and he, he not only taught them, but he also wanted to take the time and the expense to send a right-hand guy to him, to them, just to continue to maintain that connection. And again, if God calls you to be somewhere, that's where you want to be, even if it's kind of out of the way or inconvenient or expensive. I Yesterday, well, I had an opportunity a few days ago, a friend of mine who's a Jeff Jones, who's a pastor up in Northern California, called me up and he said, he said, Dave, this Saturday, want to go fly up here, fly up to Oakland. The Raiders are playing at one o'clock. And Jim Otto, who's an awesome Hall of Famer go, who goes to Jeff's church, um, Jim said he, he invited that I could come up and sit in the owner's box at the Raiders game with Al Davis and John Madden and Jim Otto and enjoy the football game. And I'm like, whoa. Because I've had the opportunity before, but they always play on Sundays, and I, I can't justify ditching church <laughs> to go to a football game. So I'm like, for a second, I'm just getting excited. And then I remembered the baptism. And I'm like, there's no way I could get back for the baptism. And I thought, you know, it'd be good for the other guys to do more baptizing themselves. And <laughs> thought that for a second, but it's like, no, I can't. I, you know, that, that wouldn't be integrity. And, and, so, and so I told him, yeah, no, I'm not going to be able to do it. Maybe another time. And I was kind of feeling like, wow, that would have been cool. And, but it was so funny because yesterday I was getting things ready to go to the baptism. And I remembered, oh, the Raider game. And I turned it on, and the Raiders were losing 31 nothing at halftime. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, I, and I was just thinking, if I had made some excuse and sent the other guys to do the baptizing, and there I am in the owner's box, and imagine the mood in the owner's box when it's 31 nothing at halftime. It's like, I would be thinking, what am I doing? And I'm telling you, if God is calling you to go out of your way, to be somewhere, to, to fellowship, to be with his people. You don't want to be anywhere else. You don't want to do anything else. We do what God calls us to do. And we should all be open to do what Lucky did. And that is, hey, I am going to make that connection. I am going to go take this it was a major journey in those days and a major expense, and it would be leaving what he probably loved to do in Rome in order to go off and do that, but he's going, I'm going to do that because fellowship is that important to me. How important is fellowship to you? How important are connections with others? Now, Paul goes on with some more blessings, though, after doing the blessing of fellowship. He then says in verse 23, Peace to the brethren. I like that term, brethren. It's your family. Again, you're connected. 
And he's praying for peace for them and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if these things come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it's pretty obvious that they're both God. He doesn't treat them as two. They are two distinct personalities, but it's coming from both of them, and they're obviously together. First of all, peace from, you know, to the brethren. This request of Paul asking God really to give them peace, it's a pronouncement of blessing upon them. Jesus, when he came and died for us, he did it in order to give us peace. Jesus said, I have come that you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. Peace is what everyone in this world wants. Even people who are fighting constantly are trying to win so that they can have peace. We all want it, but what Jesus did on the cross is pay the price for peace. Jesus was the Prince of Peace, and he first gives us a peace with God. All of a sudden, because of what he did, now God is not my enemy anymore. Now I can, I can know that I'm okay with him. I can know that I can live eternally with him. But when I get peace with God, what comes within my life is the peace of God. I can all of a sudden feel like things are okay. And when I have the peace of God that passes understanding, then I also can end up having peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there's nothing that I need to strive over anymore. Because he gives me a peace. And that peace often comes in such a crazy supernatural way. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's something that God wants to give to each of us. And you know when you have it and you know when you don't. And if you don't, something's wrong because he said he would give us peace. And sometimes it'll come when you least expect it. There's a a girl in our church who right now is just probably, unless the Lord does something incredible, um, she's going to go be with the Lord here in the next few days. And um, I went to visit her this week, and as I was sitting in her bedroom with her and her husband, um, I was just blown away by the peace that she had. And I could see it on her face. I could hear it in what she was saying as she was sharing with me how she said, God has just given me such a peace. She even she told me, she goes, yeah, I'm starting to sleep a lot and fall asleep. And she said, God's just given me the most amazing dreams. She, I go, well, tell me about them. She goes, well, I just had one just before you came in. I was up in the mountains, up in Blue Jay, and I was at this little cafe, and they brought out these warm blueberry muffins with just butter oozing. And I'm like, oh, man, I want cancer. You know, it's like... <laughs> and, and she's telling me about it, and it's like, that's so cool. And, and she was sharing with me. She said, Dave, when you, know, when you do my service, if they could do that song, there's an old song we used to sing back years ago, My Peace I Give Unto You. It's a peace that the world cannot give. It's a peace that the world cannot understand. She goes, I want that to be, to be sung at my at my funeral, because I want people who don't know Jesus to know about the peace that he can give us. In the middle of, of something that, for many people, would throw them into a tailspin, 
God was just giving her a peace. And it was, it was peaceful to me. It felt comforting to me to see her dealing with this in, in the way that she was, not fighting against it, not kicking against the darkness, not wanting to run off and try some experimental, you know, weird treatment or whatever. No, she's, she knows she's going to go be with the Lord, and she's good with that. And she just said, pray that I just go pretty soon. This is getting boring. You know? and, and so you see that that's something that only God can give. And, and it's something that if we are not at peace, then we're not really experiencing life the way God has for us. Ironically, if you don't have peace, it kills you. It takes years off your life. It's hard on you. And when you don't have that peace that God wants to give you, then ultimately you end up fighting more and more with everyone else. And it's, and it's weird, too, that fellowship, you start losing fellowship when you lose peace because you're clashing with other people. You're remembering issues from the past, and, and you lose your ability to go back and connect with people because even though they're your family, well, it's just kind of awkward with them. Hey, relationships are awkward sometimes, but God promises to give us a peace, and his peace can you know, open the door to great fellowship as well if that's the value that we have. And so he says, peace to the brethren. But then he says, and also, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grammatical construction of that, um, what, what he's saying is, you have faith, but may God add love to your faith. May love come to join the faith that you already have. It's amazing how many people have faith, like they know what they believe, and they have their theology down. And, 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 they, and they, have, they can argue their points, and they have a strong religious faith, and they might be really right about it. But is love there? Paul told the church in Corinth, it doesn't matter. You can speak with tongues of men and of angels. You can be so dedicated you give your body to be burned. You can give everything that you have. If you don't have love, it's nothing. And, and so often, when love is lacking in our lives, our faith, well, it really becomes our enemy. There are so many people who, using faith without love, have driven people away from Jesus Christ. That people see, oh yeah, you've got a strong faith and you seem miserable. You have a strong faith, but... How come you can't even get along with people who have the same faith that you do? Oh, you know, okay, it's one thing to not get along with people of different faiths, but you're all of the same faith and you seem to hate each other. And Paul says, oh, for the brothers, I, I, I so wish that you could add that huge dose of love to your faith, that, that, that your belief would actually turn into something that cares about others, that when people interact with you, they see that you really care. They see that you love. And again, peace and love 
fruit of the Spirit. It's what he wants. It's ultimately what a life looks like that's being lived the way it's supposed to be lived, the way we're designed to function, is a life that oozes these qualities. Now, it's interesting. If you have love and you have peace, fellowship becomes so natural. There are some people who are scared to death to connect with others because they just don't have that love or that peace. And they think, I wouldn't know what to say. Show up at some mission station and say, hi, I'm from Calvary Pacific Hills, and uh, I don't know why I'm here. I hate this place. Is there anything to eat? Yuck, that, you know? And it, but see, when you have peace, and when you have a love that, that blends perfectly with your faith, you want to connect with others. Most people who don't have peace and who don't have love, they can't get along with others either. They don't like people because somehow they think that people are the reason why they don't have peace and love. It'd be easy for me to love if people were more lovable, but people are so disgusting, I just don't love them. And if you'd leave me alone, I could have peace. (laughs) You don't get peace by being left alone. You get peace from having healthy relationships with others, from taking that love that that God has given us and, and sharing it and turning your faith into something that cares and loves. And when you do that and God gives you his peace, fellowship becomes a natural outflowing of that. And I, you know, as much as like the way Tychicus does, I'd, you know, I'd love for so many of you to go and make connections with people that you haven't seen for a while, maybe people you don't even know but you've prayed for, to go somewhere and, and you know, you just, you're going on a vacation, check on the map, find out a little church that's near there and show up there on Sunday and say, hey, I'm just here to encourage you. Um, you're, you're our brothers and I'm praying for you. To a little church in the middle of nowhere, that can be such a breath of fresh air. I know guys who have just said, wow, it meant so much. Somebody from your church just happened to come by, and it was so awesome, and they told us how good things are going and how blessed you are and all that kind of stuff, and it's great. You know, but frankly, there are some people I would just as soon have not do that because you don't need to export your bitterness, your anger, your cynicism, your misery, If that's your life and that's what Christianity is to you, shut up about being a Christian. Don't even go tell, and don't tell people you go to this church. I don't need that kind of advertisement. I I do it enough myself. But see, when we have this love and when we have this peace and we reach out and enjoy that fellowship, it's amazing how they all feed off of each other. At the same time, being in fellowship with others gives you peace, and and it it causes your love to grow. Isolating yourself is a great way to have anything but what Paul's talking about. Now, then he, he goes on and concludes in verse 24, wraps it all up by saying, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Grace. That's what it's all about. 
That's what this book of Ephesians has been about. In a sense, that's what the New Testament is about. Understanding grace. Grace is that God loves you for no reason, but he loves you completely and unconditionally. You don't have to earn anything with him. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't condemn you. He forgives you, saves you, and loves you for free. And you don't have to ever have to do anything to earn that. And when he gives you his grace, it, it makes you a gracious person to others because you've been graced. You've been blessed. You've been forgiven. That's how it works. If, how does that happen? Well, it happens because you see God's love. And when you understand that God loves you, you can't help but love others. But what he says here is, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. When you know that God loves you and you respond to that love, really, honestly respond to it, and you sense yourself loving him, that's grace. That sense of the Greek word for grace is charis, and it's related to the word that got translated into English, caress. It's just like feeling God's embrace, feeling how loved and secure you are. That's what it's all about. And I can't tell you, the greatest blessings of my life are when people will sometimes share with me, and it's a miracle, it's totally God that this happens, but they'll say, you know, I've been listening to your teaching on the radio and been coming to your church and I'm starting to understand grace for the first time. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm, I'm finally understanding. I'm getting a handle on this grace thing. I just, that blesses me so much because that's what Christianity is about. It's understanding the pressure's off. He loves you. It's not a religion. It's not you trying to be good enough. People who are legalistic, people who are trying to live the Christian life on their own effort because somebody's telling them what they ought to do or what they shouldn't do, that's not loving God. That's not loving him in sincerity because nobody would love somebody who would do that to you. Nobody can really sincerely love someone who treats them that way. I think of this poor little girl who was kidnapped so many years ago and they just found her and she's got this connection with this, with this jerk that kidnapped her and robbed her life and, and raped her and caused her to have, gave her two children and he's kept her enslaved in his backyard all these years. And, and, I, and I think she probably feels the closest thing to love that she can have for this jerk. But that's not love. That's not real love. Someone who's controlling you, someone who's restricting you, someone who's forcing you, that's so many people's concept of God. And you don't fall in love, really, with a God like that. You just fear him or habitually do what he says or placate him, or you learn to fake life because you don't want to make him mad at you. But when you understand the reality of grace... It's like Pastor Chuck's book is entitled, Grace Changes Everything, and it does. And it's the most radical thing that can ever happen in your life when you begin to understand grace. 
Martin Luther's life was totally transformed, brought about the Reformation. He was a guy who really wanted to please God. Deeply religious man, a Catholic monk. And he, living in a monastery, was trying to find a way to get close to God. And he, and he so wanted to know God that he would punish himself, torture himself, thinking that somehow God would be pleased enough that he could connect with them. And Martin Luther, in the dead of winter, <coughs> would lie naked on a, on, a, on a rock floor, just freezing himself, wanting to be close to God. And many of us spent our lives making ourselves miserable, trying to please God. But when Martin Luther told that story later, somebody said to him, wow, you did all that? You must have really loved God. And he said, love God? I hated him. And some of us, because we've got the wrong idea, we, we pretend like we love God, we sing about loving God, but we really don't have that sincere relationship of affection with him because we've been victimized by people who misrepresent him so horribly that he's some guy that's a control freak that's just trying to change everything about you to make you into something that'll please other people. But Paul says to people who sincerely love him, and no one loves him, we love because he first loved us. When we understand how much he loves us, our reaction is to love him back for real. And that's grace. That's what it's all about. And Paul closes his book by just going, that's what I want for you. I want for you to live in that grace. What happens to a life of grace? Love just shines forth. We love God, so we start to be free to love others. We don't have to love them now to somehow earn our way to heaven. We, we just want to love them because we've been so loved. And, and that just happens. And, you know, when that happens, peace starts to set in. And we're like, the pressure's really off? Really? Yeah. And there's God's peace in operation in our lives. And then, backing through the verses, there we are at fellowship. We can finally connect with others, not as some sort of debt we have to pay, not as something you just got to do because you got to do it. No, we have that connection, and we understand how big the body of Christ is, and we want to be involved with different aspects of it because God's grace brought us to that point because that's what holds it all together. And this is what, in, in really, in these few verses here. This is what the Christian life is all about. And a whole lot of people are missing it. And Paul understood that. And that's why as he's praying for a church, as he's promote, pronouncing his blessing on them, he's going, oh man, I, wish, I just wish you guys could get this. I want you to. When Tychicus comes, I hope he can kind of help share this. I hope when you go over this letter I'm writing you, that it's going to sink into you the marvelous, incredible, amazing grace of God. The pressure's off. The peace is here. Our faith has a love to it. We have a sincere relationship with the God who loves us. 
All because we're functioning in grace. That's the deal. That's what it's about. And amen, that's a fitting conclusion to this amazing letter to the church at Ephesus. We will uh, next Sunday start into the book of 1 Timothy. I'm looking forward to that. It's just an awesome book. It's just a continuation, really, into spiritual maturity and how we grow in that relationship, how we can be involved, how we can lead. And so I'm looking forward to that letter. Let's all stand and pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the fact that you loved us when we were just horrible so that we could learn that our horribleness doesn't affect your love. And then hopefully learn that we don't need to fix ourselves to make you love us. You, you always loved us. Please help us never to get past your grace. And help us to take that grace and share it with others. Treat others graciously. Add love to our faith. Experience your peace. Consciously, deliberately connecting with others around the world when we have opportunities. But even in our own lives, people we haven't seen for a while or they've just kind of moved on. And Lord, to go back and to share your care and your concern and your love and to be willing to listen to how they're doing and what they're doing so that we can be your body, so, so that we can be here on the earth and, and represent you well. We need your heart so that we can do that. And that's a work that only your spirit can do within us. So we make ourselves available to you. You've certainly done enough for us. This ought to happen naturally. So help us to not get in your way and mess up what you want to do in our lives. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Lord, help us to move past that into victory. In Jesus' name, amen.